0: Well, last month, uh, Trisha and I went to uh, Shakespeare on the Green, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Have any of you ever been to Shakespeare on the Green? A lot of you, okay. Now, this comic production, uh, like many of Shakespeare's scripts, plays out in five acts. Did you know that the Bible also can be seen in five acts? Okay, I'll yeah, put it up on the screen for you. Act 1, Creation. Act 2, the fall, where sin and rebellion enter the story. Act 3 is Israel, which is the rest of the Old Testament. Act 4 is Jesus. Act 5 is redemption, that is the spreading and completing of the redemption that Jesus accomplished. So, the first scene of Act 5 is really the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels after those biographies of Jesus. And we get glimpses of the closing scene of Act 5 from the last book of the Bible, Revelation. So we know a little bit about how the story's going to end. And we are in this story. We are characters in Act 5. We're learning our roles and we're living into God's redemptive story. And we, and we have to remember that. We have to remember our place especially when we read the Old Testament, which we're doing today. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. There are a few Bibles in front of you if you want to turn there. It's on page 146. We're going to be starting with chapter 13, verse 23. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's called Numbers because it has a lot of census stats. Numbers. It also has laws and instructions and, and stories about God's people, Israel. Uh, by the way, today and the rest of the month, we be, will be reading from the book of Numbers in a new series called Transition Times. The book of Numbers represents a transition time for the people of Israel. Just before this, God had set them free from slavery in Egypt, and Moses led them to Mount Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other laws. And then God had led his chosen people to the border of the promised land. And they selected one man from each of the 12 tribes to explore it. So the team of 12 scouted what we call the land of Canaan from south to north and back again. And so will you follow with me starting with verse 23? Uh, When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes Two of them carried on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Can you imagine a cluster of grapes so big that you have to carry it on a pole between two people? Anyway, that, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol, and Eshkol means cluster, right? Because of the cluster of grapes, the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring land. But that's not all, as Terry read for us, that's not all that the 12 scouts saw when they explored Canaan. They also saw that their cities were well fortified. means they're like a fort. They've got high walls surrounding the city that made them nearly impenetrable. Not only that, some of the people there are giants. Compared to them, we look like grasshoppers. But Caleb, one of the scouts, was enthusiastic. He said, come on, everybody, let's go. Let's take the land. Now, you'd think that when people hear how wondrous the promised land is, that they'd throw a huge party. You'd think they'd be saying, oh, wonderful, God brought us out of the land of Egypt, so surely we can count on him now, and our new home will be fabulous. It'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a Bible phrase, isn't it? you don't hear much anywhere else but it's all over in the Old Testament especially this land flowing with milk and honey I got a theory about that 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 milk mixed with honey is as close to ice cream as they could possibly get (laughs) and everybody likes ice cream right okay but instead of throwing a party what do they do let's go to chapter 14 starting with verse 1 You, you with me next page that then that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud they cried all night long all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron they're the kind of the leaders Moses and his brother Aaron and the whole assembly said to them if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword our wives and children will be taken as plunder Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Listen to them. They want to go back to working seven days a week, 52 weeks a year for the rest of their lives. They want to go back to no opportunity to improve their lives. They want to go back to being beaten and abused, treated worse than animals. And Israel, their refusal to trust God at this transition of their lives, of their their history, became a warning to all future generations. Think about it. This was the generation that saw more miracles than any other generation. And now when they finally stand on the border of the promised land, they go, "We, we, we we don't want to go. So God sends them back to the desert 40 years until that generation dies off and a new generation rises up that's ready to trust the Lord. Okay, sidebar, okay? Can we we have a little parentheses time here in the message? Here's a question. As as Christians living in Act 5, right, Act 5, how do we read the Old Testament, God's story? You know, Act 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Act. Here's the answer. As Christians, we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. Can we put that? There we go. As Christians, let's say it together, shall we? As Christians, we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. I hope that you'll write that down. I hope you'll write it in the front of your Bibles. I, and, and this is going to be something we're going to come back to this month, but I really want it to stick Today, okay? So I'm just going to let's say it one more time. As Christians, we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. In, in the book of Numbers, God tells his people to invade and conquer Canaan. But we read it through the lens of Jesus. Jesus said to love our enemies, not attack them. You know, sometimes I read the Old Testament and I'm not exact the Old Testament and I'm not exactly sure why there's such a big difference between the Old Testament and the New, but I do believe that in the Old Testament God adopted adopted a rough people in a violent time. I mean, this was a lot of barbaric stuff, right? And God had to reach them and relate to them in a way that they could understand. And without Act 3, God would never have been able to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus in Act 4. Jesus wants us to go to every nation, not to conquer them. He wants us to share good news with them. So, reading Numbers 13 and 14, through the lens of Jesus, what can we learn? Well, the Israelites are in transition. They're standing on the border between uh, their old days of slavery and their new days of freedom in the Promised Land. Standing on the border then means they have a choice. Will they go backward or forward? And when you stand on a border in your life, you have a choice. Will you believe that you're incapable doomed to fail, or will you believe that you're God-capable and ready to move forward? So, got an affirmation for us. I believe it's an affirmation full of faith and hope and good news. God has been trustworthy in the past, and God can be trusted with our future. What does that look like in your life? God has been trustworthy in the past, right? And God can be trusted with our future. Let's say, let's say that you have piled up a mountain of debt, student debt, credit cards, auto loans, medical expenses, and it's really pretty common. Uh, and so if that's you, you're not alone. Maybe you find yourself making minimum payments on your credit cards, which means the interest rates are killing you. And this, you realize this is debt that could hang on the rest of your life. So you feel trapped. You feel incapable. Maybe you feel like you failed. How is this ever going to change? I mean, you would love to experience the, the, the joy of generosity that Jim Coons talked about last month, but that, that just seems impossible. And you hear this accusing voice inside you. You'll never get out from under this mountain of debt. It's going to define you the rest of your life. There's no hope for you. And that's the lie. By the way, Jim Koontz is one of our leaders for Financial Peace University, a class that we offer from time to time. Financial Peace University lays out a step-by-step plan to get out of debt, and even if you're not in debt, it helps you to learn how to, how to create a budget and live by a budget, which is, which is a powerful thing. And I'm not exactly sure when we're offering the next class. It may depend on how many of you say, uh, let me know, because I think I'm going to be interested and want to sign up. So let us know. Jesus said you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Who's going, to be, who's going to be running your life? So will you say that your debt is just too, it's too big a foe? And will you remain incapable? Or will you step out and trust God and become God-capable? This morning, I'm so eager and pleased to share with you a video uh, featuring Liz Polifka, member of our church. She sat down with Donna Sandoval a few days ago, and Liz shared uh, how in some areas of her life, God is, is transitioning her from being incapable to being God-capable. Let's watch.
1: Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity, but thank you even more for your direction, because we feel very incapable that all things are possible. Amen. So Liz, thank you for meeting with me today. Um, Tell me about what you do with your
2: job. Okay. Um, So I am an elementary special education teacher. I primarily work with third through sixth graders. Um, I work with those special ed kids who are three to four years behind their peers, which means that they usually need alternative curriculum. I have students with behavior struggles, I have students with um, struggle with emotions and struggle with social skills Um, kiddos with autism, lots of different disabilities.
1: So what do you tap into when you feel like you don't have what it takes to meet the needs of your children?
2: Um, So there are a lot of times in my classroom where my bag of tricks is empty and i have struggled and I, I have hit the point where i don't know what else to do to help them um, and it's really become a time where i call on god for his strength and his calm and his his guidance so oftentimes i will go to go to him in prayer sometimes even in the classroom it's obviously not spoken out loud because just can't do that but um i'll go to prayer and just kind of just try to figure out a, a different direction, and usually God will be a big part of that. So is this new for you, going to God? I think it's relatively new. It's um, definitely new in the last couple of years where I have, um, I've had situations that have happened in my life that have caused me to be more surrendering to God. Mm. Um, and it, so it's taken, it's taken some learning to get to the point of where I will more instantly go to God.
1: So before you found this, this source of strength, give me a, a, a description of before that.
2: So before that, I would say that it, it really took over my whole life. But once I started relying on God and started relying on His strength and His calm and His peace, it was like balance became more prevalent.
1: Mm. How did that then become consistent? Because, I mean, you got to do this again and again, and again.
2: I think one of the hardest things that it took to learn was after a really rough day, and you go home and you're exhausted, and you get up the next morning and go, I have to do this again. Mm. And I have had times where I'm like, God, I can't do this. He, You know, it's his gentle whisper of, hey, I got this, I got a plan, um, I'm going to give you the strength and the words to be advocate for this these kiddos, and we're going to make it. And I think one of the cool things is is that Um, Now that I have more of communication with him, I'm able to see the little victories, whereas I would often skip over them and and forget about them because they didn't matter. I needed this big victory. Um, But he shows me more of the little victories and how sometimes the little victories are a big victory.
1: So we've talked about your vocation, your job, what you do, you know, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. But that's not... Just who you are, you've just had some huge relationship changes, so how did that impact you while well, you're trying to you know maintain this mode of operation called a job as a teacher, and then here we are now you're faced with this death of your mom and now how the relationships of your families, talk a little bit about that.
2: So I think one of the hardest things um, when my mom passed away is my mom was really good at being the glue. I didn't understand what was going on or I was getting frustrated with, with somebody else in my family. She'd be like, oh, well this is, you know, she could explain it to me. And so when you lose that person that can decode and explain and person you kind of go to for some of that guidance and wisdom, it's, it's hard to navigate. And so navigating the relationships with my family was really hard following her death.
1: What does that look like?
2: It was really learning new tools. It was learning new tools to to listen, um, to ask God what in the world is going on here because, you know, we're frustrated with each other and I don't even know why we're frustrated with each other. Um, there was, you know, arguing and, and just hurt and going through that grief process on top of it, everybody grieves differently. And having to... see where someone else was coming from while still navigating yourself. Mm -hmm. And creating new boundaries and creating new systems and modes of operation to so that you could still have that relationship, um, but not have it be the same because it would never be the same. Are there one or two things that that you've felt like God led you to do? I do a lot of journaling and when I journal it is able to, um, it's a letter to God is usually what it is. And sometimes those are happy joys and just excited days and sometimes they're tear felt and sometimes there's anger and but he's able to take all that. So being able to journal has just been a great way of being able to let a lot of what happened that day go. Mm -hmm. I learned that I can't do it on my own. I tried and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, But being able to, you know, through journaling and through my community, going through that grief with him um, gave me the ability to take steps forward instead of feeling overwhelmed and trapped. Um, Because when I didn't take his hand and didn't walk through it with him I was trapped and I couldn't breathe and everything was crumbling but it was amazing the release when I could share that burden with him
1: so Liz I love this journey that that you have shared it's just so you know crazy to me that you would even be available to the idea
2: to interview because this is definitely not something I would normally do. I uh, I don't like to be... I don't like the public eye of that. I don't like being the center of attention, and I don't like... I, I often feel that I can't articulate what I'm thinking. So I don't like to be interviewed, and I don't like to be in front of people to do that. So yes, this is definitely something where I have relied on God to step out of my box and try to take a next step in a journey
1: so if there's someone who's listening who <laughs> likes to be behind the scenes who is living life in this kind of shadowed sense of presence and they're feeling like they have just they're done they, they don't have any more to give they're spent, they feel like all their resources have been used up, what would you say?
2: Trust and talk to God. Um, Talking to God has made the biggest difference in my life, and it doesn't have to be in a conventional way. I mean, it can be anything from just chatting in the car to um, journaling, but
0: listen to Him and trust So when you uh, see Liz today at our fun fest, uh, just give her a little thanks or a thumbs up or a hug or whatever. Uh, in the New Testament, a leader in the church writes to his Christian sisters and brothers and he brings up this story of the disaster in the desert, Numbers 13 and 14, when their ancestors refused to listen to God and they're at the border of the promised land. And uh, the writer says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. You see, the New Testament always reads the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. Did you know that? We we see the ancient Israelites hardening their hearts and rebelling against God, and, and we don't want to do that same kind of thing. We don't want to make that same mistake. A few verses later, the writer of uh, the letter of Hebrews says, Encourage one another daily, so that none of you may be hardened by what? Say it with me, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. <coughs> Pardon me, sin's deceitfulness. You know, I was thinking, that's what happened back in Act 2, right? The woman and the man decided that despite it all that God, God had provided for them in the garden, that they thought, still God cannot be trusted. They believed that that God was somehow holding back the best from them. They believed that lie, despite all that God had offered them and all that God had done for them, that, that God really couldn't be trusted. That is the deceitfulness. That's the lie. So when you stand at the border, sisters and brothers, Don't be deceived. God has been trustworthy in the past and God can be trusted with our future. Let's say it together, shall we? God has been trustworthy in the past and God can be trusted with our future. So don't let yourselves be hardened. Don't let your hearts be hardened by the lie. By, the, by sin's deceitfulness. I want to I close with one more example because for some of you, it might be where you are in your life right now, and for others of you, you will be there at some point. Let's say that you are about to take your first step into a new romantic relationship. You've you started dating someone, okay? And you're excited. You're hopeful. But before your emotions go too far, ask yourself, will Christ be at the center of this relationship? Or will Christ be pushed to the side? Will this relationship help me better follow Jesus? Or will it draw me away from him? if this person doesn't share the faith that is at the center of your life, that's at the core of your being, you may be in danger. Are you willing to trust God even with your relational future? Are you willing to trust God even with your relational future? Hebrews 3.13 says, to encourage one another daily. We're supposed to encourage one another daily to to trust God. Hang in there. Especially at those transition times. Especially when you're standing there on the border in some part of your life. So, today I want to encourage you. My friends, my sisters and brothers in Christ, put your trust in God. Listen to Jesus Follow Him, obey Him. God has been trustworthy in the past, and God can be trusted with your future. Let's pray. Oh dear Lord, our God, we, we thank you that you have proven yourselves to us over and over, not all in Scripture, but also in our lives, personally, in the lives of this, in the life of this church. And so, Lord, we want to continue to live in that promise, to live in that trustworthiness, and uh, to believe that the things that are in front of us, that, that, that scare us, that frighten us, that make us feel so incapable, are not greater than you. Lord, we want to put our full faith and trust in you today, and to believe that with you, all things are possible. With you, we can be God-capable. And so, Lord, we ask for your, your power, your, your encouragement, your blessing upon us each and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.